0: Video. M. Crow beer, glacier cold, fawn fresh. Here we are. I'm gonna be talking a lot again. Uh, yeah, start off some backtrack. Kind of down to it, slowed down, keeping the background just so it's just not my uh, post nasal drip voice you're hearing come through whatever you listen listening on. So uh, we're going back into uh, the Hellbore Guide to Occult Britain. Gonna keep running through the uh, the southwest. We got a few more towns to get through. If you were here last week, uh, if not, then, it is what it is. We're gonna keep moving forward. All right, let me get the pop filter in the right spot here. Some messed this all up for me. You'd think I had a moment to get this all set up. Whatever. All right. Okay, so we're uh, we're in Gloucestershire. Gloucestershire is home to uh, Painswick. Uh, the town of Painswick in the Cotswolds uh, was the center of the most notable example of Pan worship in Britain. Um, in the 18th century, this cult was presided over by Benjamin Hyatt of Painswick House. Uh, Reverend John Wiltshire mentions a spring procession that ran from the church to the woods near Hyatt's house. A procession that might have involved ritual dressing up, drinking, debauchery, all in honor of the half-goat god Pan. Um, so yeah, that sounds like a good time. Um... Pan's Lodge, uh, the Pan-inspired pavilion, height built about a mile away from his house near uh, Bull's Cross was sadly demolished sometime before 1824, but a compelling statue of Pan by John Van No still welcomes the visitors uh, to Hyatt's Rococo Gardens. The cult of Pan also inspired some architectural details in Beacon House, built by church warden um, John Garden in 1757-59ish, uh, now privately owned. it's. Uh, Rococo Plasterwork was a revelry of pagan motifs and depictions of the god. Unfortunately, most of it was shipped off um, to America in the 1920s. Um, that type of plasterwork is kind of like relief stuff. Not really carved in, but like actual molds made and plaster kind of pressed into the wall from there. It's really, if you've ever seen any photos of this place, it's really amazing. It's just decked out, floor to ceiling, just amazing plasterwork. Um, I believe some of it was actually... Recovered recently, and like a someone had on like a coffee table or something like that. It was something weird to got like when the place was burned down, you know, they salvaged what they could, but obviously, like, scrappers are gonna like pull shit, like, you know, through time and time again, you know, just gonna like take shit and try to sell it. And some of this plasterwork was like recovered in like a coffee table somewhere. It's really crazy, uh, but we'll get, we'll get back to the book. Uh, the procession died out in the 1830s, but was a uh, revived five dec- decades later by Vikar Seddon, a folklore enthusiast who incorporated it to the clipping ceremony that was uh, still celebrated each September. Seddon had a statue of Pan installed in the churchyard, which became the meeting point for the procession. In 1950, a more conservative vicar dec- decided to end it all, uh, burying the statue at an unknown location in the church's graveyard. Christianity coming through, just kind of burying the history and kind of moving forward. So then we move on to a Lydney Park estate in Lydney. The 17th century estate occupied by the Bathurst family since 1719 contains the ruins of a Roman temple dedicated to Nodens, a Romano-Celtic deity associated with healing and the sea, whom Arthur Machen and H.P. Lovecraft incorporated in a lot of their works. Uh, At the healing shrine in Lydney, visitors would follow a ritual that involved bathing at the thermae and making offerings to Nodens through a funnel in his temple before the incubation or sacred sleep, uh, where supplicants received a visit from the god revealing a cure for their ailments. Often presented in a cryptical manner, a mosaic found at the site suggests these visions were once interpreted by priests named Victorinus. Um, so Nodens is kind of a play on... Neptune, Poseidon, you know, all these old religions kind of, they kind of fall in suit with, like, you know, God of this, God of that, and, you know, very, very similar themes in that world. Uh, moving on to a section about some more old gods, the the Cursed Ring, in you know, Lydney park, was riddled with tunnels, the vestige of Roman mining activities. Locals referred to the site as Dwarf's Hill, believing it inhabited by the little people. In the 1920s, it was excavated by Mortimer and Tessa Verney Wheeler, who enlisted the help of a young Anglo Saxon scholar from Oxford to investigate Nodens. The scholar's name was J.R.R. Tolkien. Uh, most of you listening probably fairly familiar with that name. Um, you know, 1892 to 73, stuck around for a little bit. Uh, the landscape and its legends might have influenced Tolkien's Middle Earth, but perhaps even more so did a curious find that had been unveiled in the 19th century excavations. A tablet bearing this inscription, to the god Nodens, Silvanus has lost the ring. He has vowed half its value to Nodens. Amongst all who bear the name Senecanus, refuse thou to grant health to exist until he bring back the ring to the temple of Nodens. Curiously, the ring had already been found, not at Lydney, but 100 miles away in a plowed field at Silchester in 1785. Identified by the inscription, Senatius, may you live in God. Believed to have inspired uh, Tolkien's epic fantasy, The Ring is now kept at the Vine Museum in Besko. So yeah, J.R. Tolkien, young scholar, going on these digs, found this tablet, later you know, found that The Ring was already found, kind of inspired that whole world, which was uh, kind of... Absorbed a lot of my youth and uh, my, my stepfather. That was his uh, favorite favorite book. So when those movies came out, I was I was first one in the theater. I love that stuff. Um, So we're moving on uh, down to another long, another little barrow here. And where are we at again? We're in Lydney. Still no. We're in Gloucestershire. Um, the uh, impressive Neolithic long barrow, Bell's Nap, um, was built around three thousand BCE and used for successive burials over a long period of time. 19th century excavations uncovered the remains of 31 people in its chambers. The burial chambers are entered from the sides of the barrow. It has a false entrance and may have worked as a spirit door so the dead would be able to send the offerings brought to the tomb by their descendants. Um, right nearby is Snowshell Manor. Uh, the 16th century manor house was acquired by architect and collector Charles Paget Wade in 1919. While he stayed at the Garden's priest house, he restored the main building to house his collection of curios containing over 20 suits of samurai armor, ancient musical instruments, clocks, and other unusual objects. Wade's interest in astrology is patent in the name of the uh, southernmost and northernmost rooms, Zenith and Nadir. And in the uh, zodiacal motifs, motifs? Uh, that can be seen around the property and in the garden, but the house's most intriguing feature is a room that cannot be visited. At the top of the house, accessible after climbing up onto a small minstrels gallery, is a secret room he named the Witch's Garret. When Wade moved to the Caribbean, he donated the house and its contents to the National Trust. They found a room decorated with magic circles and astrological and alchemical symbols and a collection of objects uh, used in ritual practice cauldrons, animal skulls, mummified left hand of an Egyptian, and so-called Wondrous Candle, which had the power to reveal hidden treasures. Uh, The National Trust donated Wade's ritual objects to Cecil Williamson, whose museum of witchcraft was then in the nearby town of Bourbon-on-the-Water. Most of them are now in the museum's current location in Boss Castle, though some were damaged in 2004 from a flood. Uh, The Devil's Pulpit is the next section here. The uh, rocky viewpoint Overlooks uh, Tintern Abbey and the village of Tintern on the Welsh bank of the River Wye It is said that the devil created the pulpit to preach to the monks and lure them inside So next we're gonna, we're gonna skip to the next town We got uh Wiltshire. We only got a few more and few more pages left. I might let some records spin give you a break for me And then we'll jump into the southeast um, the next section of uh, occult Britain so Wiltshire First stop in Wiltshire is Avebury. Developed over a thousand years, this Neolithic complex likely served as a stage for rituals and processions. The relationship between the community and the landscape evolved during this time, which suggests that the purpose of the function of the complex may have changed as well. Uh, the Avebury stone circles. Um, if you're not familiar with this, you know it's just like a bunch of you know kind of from up, up up above. You know, it looks like some crop circles kind of stuff, but you know they're all stone. And all the, the typical. Neolithic uh, structures that are found all over England, these huge stone, stone masses and stone structures. The uh, largest stone circle in Europe is the Avebury stone circles, and the only one with a village within. It dates back to 2600 BCE and contains two smaller circles inside. At the center of the inner southern circle are the remains of the cove, said to be the most sacred place. It's been speculated that it was reserved for supernatural beings, deities, or ancestor spirits. During the Middle Ages, many stones were toppled and buried by the locals who associated the site with the devil. Some of these associations persist today. The largest stone by the south entrance is known as the devil's chair. It's said to expel black smoke from its top when the devil is in residence. Running around the stone a hundred times, Wittershins, which is anti-clockwise, will summon him. I would do, I would do it I'm gonna do that just run around that stone 100 you you, you need somebody there you need some chalk to kind of keep that's a hundred times is a lot uh, the diamond stone near the northwestern entrance is said to cross over to the other side of the road when the clock strikes midnight that's pretty wild um, for children of the stones 1977 it's a movie. Um, Agebear became Millberry, a seemingly idyllic village um, surrounded by a Neolithic stone circle. When its ideas of cosmic horror, psychic control, and petrification and gothic repetition, and with its haunting atonal music score, the series still holds its reputation as one of the scariest children TV programs ever made. I've seen a couple clips of that, and it is so weird. It just, um, I recently watched uh, Suspiria, and it has like that same just awkward tension where you just you just know something dark is there it's a it's a really cool show if you're into that stuff from the late 70s children of the stones fantastic watch super creepy Um, so let's keep moving forward to the uh, the serpent temple another Neolithic uh, stones uh, stone sculpture here. the 18th century antiquarian William Stukeley 1687 1765 uh, interpreted Avebury as a serpent temple built by the Druids. Um, if you can see the picture, it's you know this long kind of meandering path with a large circle by the belly and another large circle by its head. Um, the sanctuary was at the head of the serpent, whose body ran from West Kennet Stone Avenue to the main stone circle before re-emerging again. Strictly believed this winged globe and serpent represented the cycle of death and rebirth. Uh, More stuff in Avesbury, the ritual landscape here. Go through, they have a lot more of these uh, these stone structures here. There's West Kennet Avenue. Um, This would have marked the route between the stone circles and the sanctuary. Um, Almost each tall, narrow stone is paired up with a triangular one, opposite, probably representing the masculine and the feminine. Human bones have been found at the foot of the stones, likely either the remains of important people or sacrificial offerings. So, people still use these uh, sculptures today, who still believe in the old gods and old world practices. Um, That'd be kind of creepy walking a dog coming upon this stuff. uh, Then we've got the sanctuary. The purpose of this complex complex of uh, concentric timber and stone settings, now represented by concrete posts, is known as large quantities of human bones that have been found here was su- suggest it might have been used for death rituals uh the seven barrows the name seven barrows is deceiving there are at least 12 on overton hill near the sanctuary excavations in this bronze age barrow cemetery have uncovered bronze daggers ceramics and bone implements i wonder why it's called the seven Barrows if there's 12. that's correct that's wow that's confusing it's like iceland greenland West Kennet Long Barrow, the Neolithic chambered tomb, was used to bury nearly 50 people before its chambers were blocked. It might have been constructed in several phases, possibly evolving from small shrines to appease local spirits. Uh, Then we got Silsbury Hill, Uh, that was built between 2470-2350 BCE. Silbury Hill is the largest artificial prehistoric mound in Europe imposing and totemic it's all more intriguing because we don't know its purpose or the meaning it had for the people who built it half a million tons of material were used in its construction and the scale of it gave way to the myth that it was built by the devil Uh, traditionally it was thought to be the resting place of king sil or zell who was buried on horseback his ghost is said to ride across the landscape at night wearing golden armor so they got a little side note here Saying uh, they're calling it bowing to Pan," talks about uh, archaeologist Alexander Keeler, the heir of a marmalade emporium. That'd be nice. You're the you're the, you're the jelly king of Europe, <laughs> or the heir to the throne for the for the jelly uh, jelly enterprise. Um, in the late 1930s, returned to its native He uh, he cleared away many of the more modern buildings and self-funded an excavation that uncovered and re-erected stones previously thought lost. Although Keeler was fascinated by witchcraft and the occult, he was dismissive of Margaret Murray's witch-cult hypothesis and of Stukely's view of Avebury as a serpent temple. But while he was living in Avebury Manor, he seemed to have been interested in the great god Pan. An anecdote told in his biography by Linda Murray says that one Halloween night, he brought some friends to the garden of the manor house, which he used to have a statue of Pan. Carrying a phallic symbol, the group bowed three times before the goat-footed god, chanting witch-like incantations. A it. That would be me. That would be me if I had money and I lived there. No doubt. So then we come to the place we all know about. Uh, a lot of myself, I you know, wasn't super familiar with a lot of these places, but the stone structures, how massive and how vast they are. Stonehenge, I really thought for the longest time, was the, was the only one. So here we are, Stonehenge is our last stop in the southwest. It's the only surviving lintelled stone structure in the world and the most architecturally sophisticated, according to UNESCO, it was built in several stages. The early Henge Monument dates from 5,000 years ago and the stone circles erected in about 2,500 BCE. Two types of stone were used, the sarsens which formed the inner horseshoe and the outer circle, came from Marlborough Downs. The blue stones, the smallest ones, came from the Pressel Hills in Wales. Curiously, folklore says Merlin built a circle with stones transported magically from Ireland. Ideas about Stonehenge functions have changed for the centuries. 17th and 18th century antiquaries believed it to be a temple of the Druids, and some thought the blood sacrifices were performed within it. Nowadays, however, it is generally accepted that Stonehenge was a prehistoric temple aligned with the movements of the sun. It was one of the largest cremation cemeteries known in Britain. A large recumbent stone outside of the circle monument known as the Slaughter Stone, um, rainwater accumulates on the shallow depressions of its surface, turning a rusty red due to the iron content in the stone reacting with a type of algae. That might have fueled the legends of blood, blood staining its surface, supposedly the blood of a uh, sacrificial victims, you know? So the Stonehenge landscape around the stones is um peppered with ancient burial mounds and earthworks. Many believe the avenue over two point five kilometers long and predating the Stone Circle might have been the original entrance to Stonehenge, and that the cursus, the five thousand year old rectangular enclosure that expands for nearly two miles, was used for processions. Most of these monuments and earthworks are aligned are aligned with um, the movements of the sun. Two miles away from Stonehenge to the northeast is the site of Woodhenge, once formed by six concentric ovals of a standing post and built to align with the Midsummer. The Southern Circle, another timber monument nearby, is also aligned with the Midwinter Sunrise. So there you have it. Stonehenge, uh, something else I wasn't super familiar with before reading all the um, all the zines, is the uh, Woodhenge. There's also these, like, Woodhenge sites for whatever people want to believe them be and whatever the folklore has kind of been passed down. And that's what's really cool about this stuff. Um, you know, this book is a little more quick, not super in-depth, but if you like kind of what they're talking about, there are other zines that they put out every six months or so. It um, goes much more in-depth with a lot of these stories and gets a lot further into it and get a little more nitty-gritty with it. Um, so if this is what interests you, uh, check out Hellbor. They make some really great publications. Um, they just ship from England, so they take a little bit to get here if you're in the States. So, on that note, I'm going to hit play on another record, drink some water, come back to y'all in a minute. should have should have coughed before I turned the mic on there but here we are all right so we're gonna get back into this book played some uh, choir boy there for a minute where I even put the book there it is um, I'll keep some heavy stuff in the background just because I feel like kind uh, of yeah just just what I want for background noise that's what it is so back to the Hellboard guide to Occult Britain um, we have just left the southwest we are now moving to the southeast We got. uh, We're going to cover Hampshire, Berkshire, Buckinghamshire, Oxfordshire, and I doubt we'll even get that far today. So we'll just kind of see where we get. We got some Mono Lord playing in the background. First stop is going to be Hampshire. We're going to talk about the New Forest. So, the New Forest. Uh, it's covering an area of around 219 square miles. The New Forest is known as the site where King William II was fatally wounded with an arrow in 1100. A spot now marked with an ironclad Rufus stone. But these woodlands also have many occult size, uh, particularly the Gerald Gardens New Forest Coven, and with the paranormal investigations of Arthur Cannon Doyle. Um, Arthur Cannon Doyle, he was uh, Sherlock Holmes. did did all that stuff super heavy into the occult into witchcraft and all that stuff Um, I really hope how much they mention it in this book they really kind of dive into further in one of their uh, smaller publications Uh, I would really love to have a a dense collection of all his kind of findings within the occult and all that Um, so the glass Hayes house Glass Hayes House, built in the early 19th century as a uh, retreat. Glass Hayes House later became the abode of the first um, Duke Stackpole, an Anglo-French Catholic aristocrat who operated a local smuggling ring after his death. Uh, Glass Hayes passed through several hands before being turned into a hotel in the early 20th century, but then the house was also haunted um captured the uh, attention of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle who visited often and held seances in the octagonal tower under the auspices of uh, managers or manageress in uh, 1912. The Sherlock Holmes author resigned or redesigned the building's facades so its features would represent the journey of the afterlife, uh, life, death, afterlife, spirits, and harmony and higher spiritual place. The uh, seven devil squares over the entrance signal each of the ghost sightings that took place during the construction work. Glass Haze has recently been under threat from developers, though Conan Doyle's involvement and the unusual concept behind its redesign might protect the historic features of the house. Developers should also fear the ghost of the Duke de Stackpool, who has previously directed his wrath towards builders. He is said to celebrate an annual ball for the dead on the 7th of July, when otherworldly music can be heard in some rooms. I've actually seen videos of this, and it's it's very suspect because you know it's a video on YouTube and you're like do you hear that do you hear that you hear some like violins or something could be misread as like you know classical music but uh, I I have seen some videos of this on the seventh of July kind of dating about this stuff and talking about this stuff um, if you get a chance go and look it up Glass Hayes House July seventh Arthur Conan Doyle you can find a, a a trough of information there so Brock and Hurst uh. St. Nicholas Churchyard, Church Lane, um, a marble headstone in St. Nicholas Churchyard, commemorates the life of a forest snake catcher, Brusher Mills. Uh, Born in Emory Down, the eccentric Mills made a living by trapping snakes with a forked stick and a sack, selling them to London Zoo, where they would be used as fodder for other animals. Uh, Victorian tourists saw him as a local attraction, and purchased his snake ointments and snake skeletons as souvenirs, and this was kind of like the start of the traveling snake oil cure-all ailments kind of kind of bit, um, and that is obviously spiraled out of contr- like otherworldly with like stuff we know today about that. But Brockenhurst is kind of the beginning of that all. Bolu, I don't know how to pronounce this one. B. B-E-A-U-L-I-B-O-L-U. Bo- yeah, I'm guessing that's, that's what it is. So it's a, it's a palace house, John Montague building. Uh, the magnificent Cistercian Abbey that gave Bolu its name was largely destroyed during the dissolution, but its gatehouse became the core of the palace house, an imposing Gothic mansion regarded as one of the treasure houses of England. Sir Arthur Conan Doyle famously held a seance here, enthralled by tales, ghostly monks... Sorry, enthralled by tales of ghostly monks haunting the abbey ruins and by visions of Lady in Blue. Visitors have reported hearing Gregorian chant and smelling incense in one of the rooms of the house. Both events are regarded as bad omens. Bolu was also associated with two wise men. 18th century Mary Dorr was thought to have the ability to shapeshift into a hare, a bird, or a cat. After her death, the Duke of Montague, who had a soft spot for her, paid for her gravestone but the locals defaced and destroyed it and her exact place of burial is now lost. And in the 19th century, lovesick villagers would call on Witchy White, a chairwoman at Palace House who specialized in love spells. So I wonder what this place is up to today. I'm going to have to look into this one. I don't know too much about that place. But um, Arthur Conan Doyle was so enamored by the new forest, he bought a country home on the edge of Mill Wood. He is buried next to his second wife in the graveyard of All Saints Church Minstead. So like it's if you were here last week, we talked a lot about Arthur Conan Doyle. Um, super into the cult of Pan, super into occult worship. The original Sherlock Holmes stories are just riddled with masonry details, occult details, magic, so on, so on, so forth. Um, and he is buried next to the New Forest, which for a lot of people is regarded as the birthplace of the cult of Pan. Um, so, dude was in it deep. And you know a few places here just listed place that he's held seances and all that kind of crazy wild stuff. Um what is this guy? Oh, the Witch of Burley. If you're into occult witchcraft practices, uh you've you've probably definitely heard of Sybil Leak at this point. Um Uh, Parading the town in a black coke with her pet jackdaw on her shoulder, Sybil Leek, born 1917, died in 82, was once dubbed Britain's Most Famous Witch. The intelligent and flamboyant Leek was a witch, psychic, and antique dealer who came to uh, prominence after witchcraft laws were repealed in 51. As high priestess of the Horsa Coven in the New Forest, Leek never shied away from publicity, Wrote dozens of books on astrology, reincarnation, and herbalism. Nowadays, barely revels in a kitsch atmosphere, boasting several emporiums of all things, cauldrons and broomsticks. I have been called a legend, said Leek, which seems a rather delightful thing to be. Um, yeah. Entry-level stuff, Sibylique, the complete art of witchcraft. If you ever want to read more into this or are not familiar, great place to start. Basis of information and all that stuff and kind of getting in grimoires and so on. So we're going to move on to the next town, Berkshire. We got uh, Wayland Smithy. Uh, The Saxon god of metalworking is said to have a special connection to this Neolithic long barrow. Nestled in the green Berkshire countryside, this stone structure is built on an older, simpler burial site dating to around 3590 and 3555 BCE. 14 individuals were interred in the original barrow, some of whom appear to have died violently and have been scavenged by animals prior to burial. The name Wayland Smithy has been attached to this site since at least the year 955 CE. And later stories tell of travelers hitching <coughs> hitching their uh, tired horses to the stones and finding them carefully reshoed by a generous spirit. Wayland was a figure barred from North's invaders known as Volnder. He was an all-far spirit of God or spirit or god associated with burial mounds and fallen heroes and he was also went by the name of beowulf um aldworth uh saint mary's church bell lane the church um of the tiny parish of aldworth houses <clears throat> each seven feet tall commemorating the de la beck family said to be giants in the stature indeed. As powerful knights, generations of de la Beck men were enrolled in royal intrigue, traveling on crusades, and returning with great wealth. Colonel Simmons, the royalist diarist, wrote of the giants during the English Civil War, noting that four of the effigies were known to locals as John Long, John Strong, John Never Afraid, and John Ever Afraid. John Ever Afraid, Lost the Time, was set in an alcove in the south wall of the church. In life, the knight was said to have said sold his soul to, soul to the devil, who told him he would collect his soul when he was ever buried inside or outside of the church. John, ever afraid, beat the devil by being buried neither inside nor outside. Got him. Let move on to Oakley Court. And it's likely that this spellbinding Victorian Gothic manor house appears in at least one of your favorite films. It's moody, gargoyle adorned exteriors can be spotted in the car favorites, The Reptile, Plague of the Zombies, and more famously in Hammer's Dracula. And it's it's also the house in a Rocky Horror Picture Show. The mansion is now a hotel whose quarters pay tribute to the cinematic credentials. Oakley Court, that's on the list. It's on my my bucket list to stay a night there. Big, big Rocky Horror fan, so got to do that one up if I ever make it over there. Buckinghamshire. Moving on to the next city. The first spot we're stopping there is the Hellfire Caves. Uh, It's a man-made network of caves first excavated in the mid-1700s on behalf of noted politician and mischief-maker Sir Francis Dashwood, who quickly repurposed them as a meeting place for his notorious Hellfire Club. The caves, stretching for a quarter of a mile underground, begin with a church of gothic flint and snake uh, downwards past an underground stream named the River Styx. Into several quasi... I can't... That's a big word, that's a $10 word. I can't even SAT break down that word. I'm just gonna say, into several massive banqueting halls. The Hellfire Club was founded as a joke at the expense of the uh, self-important secret societies, but soon found a reputation as a blasphemous cult of devil worshippers. In reality, the club's activities were centered around fancy dress and carousing. The caves are open for modern explorers, although the addition of electric light has spoiled some of the atmosphere of this gothic party venue. Dashwood embellish his estate at West Wycombe Park with a collection of pagan follies, among them the scandalous Temple of Venus reconstructed in the 80s, whose entrance said to represent the entrance by which all come to the world. So, big, big vulvic entrance. Then we got the Taplow Court this uh, mid 19th century house doubled up as Hempnell Medical College in the night of the Eagle where Professor Norman Taylor's hardline skepticism turns into sheer terror as he quite literally controls his demon or confronts his demons sadly the stone Eagle from the denouement isn't part of the original building but the smaller eagles at the gates, will still bid you welcome. The house is now the headquarters of a lay Buddhist society, and its grounds are open to the public on certain dates throughout the summer. Um Nugget the Eagle movie from, like, the early 60s, I think. One of those big cult classic kind of movies. Um, next spot, we got Hambledon. Hambledon actually remains virtually unchanged since it stood in for Hedeby. The Sleepy Village that harbors a sinister secret in the Nightingale Pen folk horror the witches. Um, another mid 60s movie. Eagle eyed visitors uh, might recognize the house of the main characters, the post office, the butchers and the front of Headbaby School, Hamilton Village Hall. The Elizabethan manor house opposite the church which in real life isn't derelict became the home of the Baxes. Well, that was just a quick little quip on a uh, Buckinghamshire. We're going to move on to Oxfordshire. Oxfordshire um, is home to some of the largest, most eclectic libraries in the world. Um, there is no wonder, no doubt, that they house so many um, libraries with vast extensive knowledge on the occult and everything that follows that. So, see C- Oxford. Uh, a seat of learning since the 11th century, the towers inspired as of Oxford are no strangers to alchemy, occult philosophy, and esoteric knowledge. Its sandstone walls have inspired some of the best-known fantasy sagas of our time. They seem to be wrapped in an aura of magic. You got the Bodleian Library, the Balliol College, the Ashmolean Museum, History of Science Museum, and the Pitt Rivers Museum. All with like, they're not. Completely public. Um, I looked it up. You have to apply for um, date and time when to visit there. You have to state what you're looking to study. If you're just coming from the public, unless you're a student there, um, students have much more uh, much more access to all this. But just going there as a person off the street, you have to state what you're studying, what it's for, whether it's for a publication or for personal knowledge. Um, for most people with just personal knowledge, they actually don't accept that in there. You have to be working towards something, not just going through there and thumbing through books, um, which kind of sucks, but it is what it is. If I ever make it over there, I will definitely plan on trying to apply for a reader's permit and get into one of these uh, museums and libraries and start thumbing through some stuff because I would love to see some of these books in here. Um, we got another Neolithic sculpture structure coming up we got the um, the right stones. Big old circle, kind of all the stones kind of look like weird leaves. Pretty, pretty wild looking. So slowly erected over a period of 2,000 years, the Rollright Stones are a complex of three Neolithic and Bronze Age megalithic monuments. The popular legend of the stones was first recorded in in Camden's Britannia in 1586, (coughs) Um, namely that they were each one. They were once living men enchanted by a wonderful metamorphosis. Other versions of the tale specify that they were an invading king and his knights, turned to stone either by a Saxon general or by a witch. Sometimes identified with the Tudor soothsayer Mother Shipton, the stone circle is known as the King's Men. Stukely described its stones as corroded like worm-eaten wood by the harsh jaws of time so that kind of explains the, uh, the shape it's 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 wild looking uh, the remains of the burial chamber are known as the Whispering Knights five treacherous officers plotting against their king local lore says they come to life at midnight to drink water from a spring down the hill the monolith, the kingstone has long been the focus of fertility rituals, where women who wanted to conceive would rub their bare breast against the stone one of the elder bushes growing around the stones is said to embody the witch cutting its branches will draw the witch's blood making the stone shiver and come back to life but it will also incur her wrath I I tried to come up with a pun but I just kept going blank and just kind of went too long so we're just going to move on Uh, yeah St. James Old Church Bix Bottom Uh, This Norman church was left to ruin in the mid-19th century, and in 1971, it was used as a setting for the folk art juggernaut, the Blood on Satan's Claw. And on the side of the country road, its crumbling walls might appear peaceful, but they were the vessel of the violent satanic ritual at the heart of the film. Uh, Blood on Satan's Claw, another... uh, There's a, a movie that came out, a little small doc. I forget what it's called. I'll remember it. I'll look it up in a minute. But if you're into movies, into this kind of stuff, it kind of breaks down the history and where all these movies got all their information from and goes through a lot of the classic 60s and 70s, a lot of Italian directors in in that world. Um, So I'll remember that in a little bit. Let you guys know if anybody's into watching that. And that'll kind of, it's a movie to watch about movies you want to watch. And kind of gives you like a playlist if you're looking for stuff to watch. So next we got the Uffington White Horse. Um, it's on Dragon Hill Road. Um, this is a pretty, pretty popular one, uh, close to the spot where Saint George is said to have slayed the dragon, spilling its poison blood and staining the land white. The Uffington White Horse is the oldest chalk-cut hill figure in Britain, uh, roughly the size of a football field, and thought to be over 3,000 years old. It marks the ancient route where, uh, through Dorset to the Wash in East Anglia, with its short head and sleek limbs, some have speculated the horse is in fact a dragon. But others claim it is more likely the depiction of Epona, the Celtic goddess of healing and death. Without regular maintenance, the horse would vanish between the grass, and community would take great pride in contributing to its ongoing survival. Offerings of coins, flowers, and candles frequently appear alongside the figure, which holds special significance to Neopagans. So on this uh, hillside, there is this white figure that they constantly have to trim back and uncover. And it's just it's very much like a horse shape it's got these like it looks very intentional it's, it's it's something did this for a reason at some point um oh they got a little cool picture of a little like, plaster relief of a um so next we go to the uh Ichnild Way uh passing through ancient Fenland and Chalk Ridges the Ichnod Way is a 170 mile trackway one of the four highways of medieval England given special royal protection by Edward the Confessor the road spans six countries, or six counties, but some travelers claim it goes all the way around the world. <laughs> we're even on to the next. Ooh, a bifrost. A man in the 1890s walked away until he came to fiery mountains. With choking smoke and sulfurous fumes, he turned back. Got scared. How are you going to go that far and turn back? Walking to the fire. Moving on, we're now onto the uh, Isle of Wight. These are small. I guess the, the, this, this section isn't really too really too in depth. How are we doing on time? What time is it? My phone's too far from me and the computer won't go on. We are. Alright, about 45. We got, we got a little bit to go still. So, yeah. Keep going with the Isle of Wight. Uh, the Needles. Uh, the Druids of the Isle of Wight were permitted to hold these sites as sacred. One of these, the pinnacle of Ur, was a tall, thin spire of chalk, part of the formation known as the Needles on the west coast of the isle. Adjacent to the site where the archdruids officiated their rituals, the giant Ori, one of the most powerful giants of the island, imbued the pinnacle with his magic. When the island's king conspired to enslave Ori, he cursed them. Prophesizing of the day the pinnacle of Ur would fall into the sea, taking all the magic of the island to the other place. Uh, The other places uh, can be whatever you want it to be. Um, It's often described as hell, as heaven, purgatory. It's uh, a very, very vague descriptor. Pardon me. The other place, uh, yeah. So, Ori left the island, and the kings were subsequently overthrown by the invading Saxons when the last of the Archdruids died in the 18th century. Where do, oh, there we go. It's kind of like a very suggestive layoff where the where the story goes here. But they got some color coding here, so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep going to the uh, Modestone Longstone Moot, the Saxon for... Oh, you know, before I get into this, I'm going to flip that record or just drop this one down. Keep going with that one. Let's do that. I'm not getting up. So Moot. the Saxon four. A uh, meeting place may hold the key to this 6,000 year old monument's name, but its original purpose was a mystery until 1956 when Jaquetta Hawks, uh, the first woman to receive a degree in archaeology and anthropology, discovered the four meter high stone was the entrance to a long barrow or, or tomb stretching for 31 meters. Aligned east to west, it is possible the long stone was originally a place of solar worship as well as burial. Island folklore states the stones were flung into place during a battle between St. Catherine and the devil. So, reoccurring theme, Devils just busting through all of Great Britain, throwing stones around, sitting on stones, putting stones on holes, flipping stones over. The devil loves his stones. It's, it's kind of what we're getting at with all of England. Every, yeah, every, everything's got to do with the devil and the stone. He's just popping around, flipping stones all over the place. Never comes to America. No, no, no devil flipping stones in the Americas, though. Surrey. That's uh, it's a, it's a pretty popular town name. I've, I've, you know, I've heard this come up a lot. We're going to stop at uh, Frencham, the uh, Mother Ludlum's Cave. Inside a sandstone cliff close to the village of Freshnam lies the subterranean home of a 17th century witch, Mother Ludlum. Sometimes referred to as the White Witch of Waverly, known for granting favors, petitioners would have to stand on a boulder and call into the cave, stating the item they needed. It would then appear on, the, on their doorstep, on the condition that it be returned after two days. Other story tell of Mother Ludlam uh, feeding weary travelers and tending to wounds, suggesting the character was based off a real cunning woman or midwife serving her community. 18th century illustrations depict the cave's interior as surprisingly celebrous? I don't know what that word means. With paved flooring. Oh, so she had a nice cave. And uh, numerous benches surrounding a small stream running out of the cave's mouth. Considering the cave was likely created by a natural spring, the site may have once been a holy well laid out for pilgrim visitors, hoping for uh, healing or favors. Most of the cave is now inaccessible owing to a collapse in the mid-70s. That brings us to uh, St. Mary, the Virgin Church. Um, Behind the altar at St. Mary, the Virgin Church, under the protective stained glass gaze of St. Michael, is a 19-inch copper cauldron. Its origin story first recorded in 1890 tells of a man who barred the cauldron from the fairies who lived beneath a long flat stone on nearby Borough Hill. When he failed to return the cauldron on the agreed date, the cauldron followed him wherever he went until he died at Frenchman. Seeking sanctuary in the church, the cauldron was then used for brewing beer. Alternative versions of the legend have the cauldron loaned out by Mother Ludlam, although the witch is not otherwise described as the vengeful type. So fairy folk, the fae, all that, you know, it's very common in the folklore world that they're very um, mischievous. Not, not nice, caring, play, playful little creatures. Um, so if you borrow something, you gotta give it back, man. So we're gonna move on to the uh, Horsley Towers, the uh, whimsical walls of this 19th century country house. Now a wedding and conference venue, um, became a container for uh, residual hauntings in Nigel Neal's influential The Stone Tape, where it was renamed Taskerlands in real life Horsley Towers once was the home for um, Ada Lovelace, Lord Byron's daughter, and like the heroine of the Stone Tape, a computer programming pioneer. Um, stone Tape, early 70s movie, gets more of like the tech world, gets a little creepy. And then we're going to move on to Sussex. What do we got going on Sussex here? We got Doreen Valiente, The Devil in Sussex, and we're going to Kent. So... We got a little bit of story about the devil coming to Sussex. We got uh, Chanctonbury Ring, which is on Chanctonbury Hill. Uh, commanding the sweeping landscape for miles around, this prehistoric hill fort was once co opted by the Romans as a temple. Most likely dedicated to Mithras, god of soldiers and honor. The beech trees crowning the site were first planted by an 18th century landowner. Counting them correctly is said to summon Julius Caesar and his ghostly army. English Wiccan Doreen Valiente believed uh, women seeking to increase their fertility should sleep beneath the trees at the site for one full night, while her contemporary Victor Newberg composed glor- gory poems about the druidic sacrifices he imagined taking place at the ring. Both Newberg and his on and off associate Alistair Crowley believed the site to be a place of power. Modern occultists and UFO enthusiasts have reported Unpleasant sensations at the site, including electric shocks, difficulty breathing. The ring is notorious for its association with the devil. Walk three times naked around it, and the devil will appear, offering you a bowl of soup in exchange for your soul. That's a bad deal. A bowl of soup. So then that kind of lends us to the next story The Devil in Sussex. So we got the devil made many appearances in sussex as it is unlucky to mention him by his proper name he crops up in sussex lore as old nick poor man old scratch old harry naughty man master grim and just plain old he uh, the devil's dyke sussex was uh, said to be the final bastion of paganism in england so furious was the devil when sussex converted to christianity he tore up chunks of the landscape with the intention of creating a trench deep enough to drown the populace in a flood. When the hermit Cuthman of Steining discovered the devil's plans, he proposed a wager. If the devil could dig his trench in one night, he could have Cuthman's soul. If he failed, he must leave Sussex forever. Cuthman watched the devil as he worked through the night. As the trench was almost complete, Cuthman lit candles and made a a cock crow, fooling the devil into believing dawn had arrived the devil fled leaving behind the devil's dike his half-finished trench the two humps at the bottom of the dike are known as the devil's graves under which the devil and his wife are supposedly buried Satan can be summoned by running backwards seven times around the mountains there's no consistency on the times you gotta run around shit sometimes it's a hundred, sometimes it's seven sometimes it's once, sometimes it's backwards there's, there's no consistency here I feel like the devil, being who he is, would be very consistent on how many times he's gotta run around things. Oh, sorry, sorry, I'm a little bit less belief in these stories here. Um, Which brings us to Mick Mills' race, when a smuggler and renowned braggart Mick Mills claimed he could outrun anyone. The devil overheard and challenged him to a one-mile race through St. Leonard's Forest. Mills won, getting to keep his soul, and in some versions of the tale, gaining immortality. You can run the race yourself, but if you attempt it at midnight on horseback, The devil will squeeze onto the saddle behind you. Hold your prom style. (laughs) The tomb of Mad Jack is right right in Sussex as well. Uh, 1811, John Mad Jack Fuller, politician and eccentric, had an enormous pyramid uh, mausoleum built in preparation for his death. Fuller was rumored to be entombed sitting at a table laid out with wine and a roast chicken. And it was said that he believed he could keep the devil out of his tomb by sprinkling broken glass on the floor. Modern restoration work showed both these tales to be untrue. However, running backwards around the tomb seven times may raise the spirit of Mad Jack, if not the devil himself. So at least in Sussex, they, they got the seven thing down. The seven is consistent through their stories about summoning the devil. And we're going to move on to Kent. Kent is a small town. It's got, it's got some big old production factories. a bicycle manufacturer for a long time in the 70s and 80s. A little, little fun fact for you. But well, they got some more of those like little white hillside kind of structures. They got some more Neolithic structures here. So let's uh, talk about Kitz uh, Cody House. Constructed sometime between 4000 and 3000 BC. Kitt's Cody is a Neolithic burial chamber topped with a 10 foot high house of stone. The Kent landscape would have been roughly forested at the time of the megaliths' creation. Though now it stands on a windswept hill in 1722 the antiquarian hercules alleyway uh, recorded that local folk belief that the monument was erected to commemorate the deaths of two rival kings in Kent. it is said that if a visitor offers a sacrifice of a precious personal belonging by placing on top of the stones during a full moon they will be granted otherworldly powers modern pagan groups gather at the site throughout the year and the local morris men who take their name from the monument annually dance there on May Day morning Um, the long man of Wilmington dominating the South Downs the naked figure of a male with twin staffs is carved into the chalk Hills Um, so these white background these uh these chalk structures kind of like the carvings into the earth Um, the figure appears mysteriously ancient researchers believe it may have been created as late as 16th or 17th century although for what purpose no one can agree during World War II, the man was painted green to hide him from German bomber pilots who were using him as a landmark. What else we got here? What are we doing? I just got a few more minutes left. How much, oh, we actually just got onto the, like, the last page, so that'll be a good good time to wrap up. I'll move on to the next time. Dungeness um, said to be the closest thing England has to a desert. Dunganess has long had a reputation for danger and otherworldly goings-on. One 16th century topographer described the area as evil in winter, grievous in summer, and just never good. Prone to outbreaks of malaria known to locals as Old Johnny, its desolation made it a hotspot for smugglers in the 18th and 19th centuries. Witches were said to ride the waves in eggshells. Therefore, all eggshells in Kent must be thoroughly crushed after breakfast. That's the shit I love to hear. I love, just like Everybody's like, you gotta crack up your eggs, breaking off, the witch is gonna ride on them. I, I love those little town folklore things. Derek Jarman's Prospect Cottage. Uh, in the shadow of a nuclear power station on the great shingle expanses of Dungeness Beach, this black hut with yellow windows was home to filmmaker and poet Derek Jarman, 42 to 94, for uh, eight years until his death of age-related complications, Jarman could be spotted tending to his garden in a hooded robe, arranging rocks in mystical circles and hanging lucky hagstones on leather garlands. People thought I was building a garden for magical purposes, said a white witch out to get the nuclear power station. A strong thread of occultism runs through Jarman's body of work, most strikingly known as a 1970-70 film, uh, Jubilee, in which court musician John Deacon conjures an angel to show Elizabeth a vision of England's future. The Queen is transported to a bloody punk London where law and order have been abolished. Ballet dancers twirl for naked pagan idols, and Westminster Cathedral has been converted into a gay club where couples dance to a punk disco rendition of William Blake's Jerusalem. Drummond was buried in St. Clement's Churchyard in Old Romney under a headstone bearing a signature. The crowdfunding campaign secured the future of Prospect Cottage and plans for our regular guided tours and artist residencies are underway that's pretty solid that's a cool adaptive reuse of that that space and this is our last stop in the southeast and after that we're going to go directly to uh, the big city london which we'll get into that next week so before we leave the southeast let's talk about goodwin sands the uh outline of the treacherous goodwin sands is constantly changing due to the effect of the tides ebbing and flowing through the narrow neck of the Dover Straits, since 1298, over a thousand shipwrecks have been recorded along them. Some of which are still visible at low tide today. Warning lights have been positioned on the White Cliffs since the 14th century. The 19th century South Foreland Lighthouse, the first lighthouse to use an electric light, is open for guided tours. Um, so that is you know, the Cliffs of Dover. You may be more familiar if you're uh, using those terms rather than just the Dover Straits. And our last. Little conversation here is about the old gods and uh, the Lady uh, Lovebond. When the Lady Lovabond set sail for Portugal in 1748, the wedding party on deck erupted into violence before the ship ran around on the sucking sands, killing everyone on board. Every 50 years on the anniversary of the wreck, vessels have claimed to have spotted the three masted schooner breaking up in the surf and almost suffered catastrophe themselves. Sounds of celebration can be heard from the ghostly wreck. An example of a stone tape haunting or a genius Loki reminding us of its destructive power despite the advances of maritime technology. So that's it for today, folks. Thanks for helping me get through this book. I like reading it. Those little quips gives me some information to dive into some more stuff on the weekends when I get home and learn more about... uh, the folklore and folk horror of uh, Britain. So thanks for tuning in today, M. Crow Radio, sponsored by M. Crow Beer, Glacier Cold, Fawn Fresh, played a little bit of Choir Boy today for you, played a little bit of Mono Lord, and uh, kind of slowed them down so they're just kind of in the background noise. So let's uh, let's bring that up to tune and we'll finish this song out and I'll see you guys next Monday.